0: Welcome back to our study of the book of Philippians called A Better Brand of Happiness. This is session 15. In this session, we move forward and look at the next paragraph of scripture, which I have identified as Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Philippians 2, 12 through 18. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. And follow along with me as I read. Philippians 2:12 says therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed not only in my presence but now much more in my absence continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to to fulfill his good purpose do everything without grumbling or arguing offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This section is, as I understand it, the next paragraph of scripture in the book of Philippians. And um, I want to take a moment and review some of the Bible study methodology that I've been teaching you in this course, because it's been a while since we've looked at this stuff. We spent a good long time in the Preceding section, the first section in chapter two. And so I want to come back to uh, first principles here for us. The Bible study method that I follow has eight steps to it. The first is read the scripture in three translations. We've read it in one translation. Um, I won't read it in the other two. This is, of course, when you're working on your own. The second one is establish the paragraph. The third is state the big idea. The fourth is break down and label the parts. Number five is keep a list of questions. Number six is get answers to your questions. Number seven is revisit and rewrite your big idea. And number eight is apply the text to your life. So we've done part of step one, read the passage in three translations by reading it in one translation. Um, I'm going to assume that we, like if you were sitting down and doing this passage on your own, that you read it in two other translations. And we'll move on to step two, which is establish the paragraph. Now, there are a number of considerations that go into establishing a paragraph. In um, a letter like Philippians, many of the paragraphs are connected together. They're not completely totally separate units, completely isolated from each other. And so we're not looking for a completely, totally new thought, although there are times in which, in the New Testament letters, that happens. What we're looking for is a new section that goes in a different direction, even if it's directly related in some way to the preceding. And so there are words and um, concepts in the paragraph that indicate whether or not what we're looking at should be included with the preceding paragraph or whether it forms a new um, idea or a new part of an idea so as to be considered a second paragraph. Here in our passage in verse 12, the text begins with the word, therefore. The word therefore is a connecting word. It's a word that gives us the logical consequence of what went before. And so some might argue, well, this belongs with the preceding paragraph because the word therefore connects it together, and I understand the logic there. But I think it's also helpful for us to understand that Paul is not um, changing his thought completely, but he is moving on to a new section of the idea. And so the word therefore clearly does, and it absolutely does connect, this section with the preceding. But it does so in a way that turns. And it, what it does is it turns from the, um, the theological discussion, you might say, that we found in verses 1 through 11, all of that uh, teaching about Christ and following His example, to now applying that truth in a new direction. Not, a, not Again, it's not a completely different direction, but it's a new enough direction that the, we can say that the thought has changed. And so the, the word therefore is an important word. It's important to think about the implications of it. Is it continuing a paragraph that's already existed? Sometimes you'll find that in the New Testament. Or is it taking the truth that's been established and now turning it in a new direction? And I would argue that that that's the latter, that the word therefore here indicates a new idea based on the one before, one where Paul is going to apply the truth in a new way. So that's uh, where, why I say uh, the paragraph begins with verse 12. Why does it end at verse 18? Well, the word so um, indicates sort of a conclusion. It's a word that sort of sums things up. And the next uh, verse begins with the words, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. This in no way is connected to the preceding. And so the, um, the, the language in verse 19 indicates kind of a new topic has been introduced. And so I think it's pretty easy to conclude that the paragraph that we're looking at this morning, verses 12 through 18, is one paragraph of Scripture on its own. That's one self-contained unit of thought. And so that's number two, establish the paragraph. Number three, state the big idea. State the big idea. And so let's move forward and do that. We're still looking at Philippians 2, 12 through 18, And as I've taught you already, the big idea is formed by asking a couple of questions. So the big idea we, we discern, we pull out from the passage by asking certain questions. The first is, what is the implied question in this passage? And again, I've said it multiple times, but every statement has an implied question behind it. And I think we can find that in our passage this morning. If we look at the passage again, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And so if we read this paragraph, again, going all the way to verse 18, which I did not just do, but if we read all of this material together and we read it in multiple translations, eventually An idea, um, a statement, uh, an answer to this question, what's the implied question, is going to form in our minds. And for me, the implied question that I came up with after reading this multiple times and thinking about what Paul is trying to say here is this What is God's will for the present life of every believer? What is God's will for the present life of every believer? that's the implied question that I see in this passage. Now, let me show you from the passage how I got to this, okay? Because every one of these phrases is something that I discerned from the passage itself, but it may not be obvious that I discerned it from the passage itself, okay? And so I want to walk you through my answer to this question from the passage. How did I get to this question? What is God's will for the present life of every believer. And so I'm going to go over um, to and put the passage up on the screen so I can write on it and show you kind of how I got to this place, okay? So let's do that. As we are looking at this passage, Philippians 2, 12 through 18, this is the NIV text that I teach from, and it is, um, I've broken it out so it's not um, paragraphed in the way that it's laid out. Instead, I've laid out each verse as an individual unit. Um, for multiple reasons, but uh, just, um, just to explain why it looks the way it does and looks a little different than in your Bibles. I told you that my big idea question for this section is, what is God's will for the present life of every believer? All right, And let's start with the fact that this is written to believers. Now, we can not assume that whenever we read the, the letters of Paul, all of Paul's letters were written to, to believers. So we can assume that. But the passage shows us that too. Okay, and we see that in these friends, my dear friends. Okay, that phrase, my dear friends, and by the way, I'm using blue ink here. I'm not. I don't really do the color thing that I taught you um, because I'm not a visual learner, and so don't read anything into the fact that I'm only using blue ink. Um, I don't. I don't typically use the colors on my own, but if if that works for you, then by all means use it. But to me, the phrase, dear friends. Um, reminds us who the audience for this passage is. And it's not the only place that we're reminded of that audience. He talks about your salvation also in verse 12. And that, again, reminds us that Paul's audience is a group of believers here. He also talks about your faith in verse 17. And so throughout this passage, Paul reaffirms the fact that the teaching he is giving here is teaching to believers. And so that gives us the, the last, actually, part of my big idea, that Paul is talking about God's will for the life of every believer. Now, I also talked about the present life of every believer. Okay, Remember my big idea statement? Or my big idea question, I should say, was what is God's will for the present life of every believer? I've shown you where the, the part about every believer comes from in, my, in the passage. Now I want to focus on the phrase, the present life. What makes me say that that is... Um, from this passage. And the answer is pretty simple, too. In verse 12, Paul says, "...therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation." That phrase, to me, continue to work out your salvation, talks about the present. Of course, it's the present going forward, so it's the present and the future, But as they read this letter, this is what Paul wants them to do. And by the way, while we're here, um, we'll come back to this in a minute, but if you were to look at the grammar of this passage, so I showed you various ways in which to mark up the passage, which is one of my steps in the Bible study process. One of them is um, to just to draw lines and, and arrows and stuff, and I'll do some of that, I think, later on in this session. One of them is to use colors, but another one of them is to simply um, break it out and write it out in a way that sort of subordinates the phrases and clauses to each other, okay? and This is the way that I typically do it. When I break down the passage, I look at the grammar of the passage, and I try to find the dominant clause and the subordinate clauses. In this passage, it's very simple and very easy to see that the, the center, the main assertion in this passage is that phrase, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the core idea. It's the core idea grammatically in this section, but it's also the core idea of the entire paragraph. Whatever Paul's saying in this passage is related to that phrase, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so the fact that he talks about your salvation and continue gives me two aspects of my big idea question. My big idea question again is, what is God's will for the present life of every believer? Well, your salvation talks about every believer, and the present life is indicated by the phrase continue to work out your salvation. Now, where do I get God's will from this? Okay, because the Bible doesn't actually say, in this verse at least, this is the will of God, work out your salvation, or this is what your present life should look like. Yet, but, but yet the language of that is in the passage. Because if we look at verse 13, we see these words. For it is God who works in you to will. Okay? So there's the will of God right there in the passage. But, it's his, but his, it's a, in this section, it's him working in you to will and to act. That's, it's working in you to will. So in other words, what Paul is saying here, he's not saying this is God's will. He's saying God is working in you so that you will will something. Yes? But what is that will? It is to fulfill his good purpose, all right? What is God's good purpose? It's another way of talking about the will of God, okay? And so the way I formed my big idea question is all related to these phrases, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. My big idea question takes these ideas, the fact that it's written to every believer, that Paul is speaking in the present what he wants them to do now, and that it is God's good purpose that is driving all of this. All of those things, all of those elements went into my formulation of this big idea question. What is God's will for the present life of every believer? And so that's, to me, the implied question that stands behind this paragraph. Now, how does Paul answer that question? All right, that gives us the the second part of the big idea. And my answer to that would be this. What is the answer to that question? What is God's will for the present life of every believer? The answer is to become a bright light in the world through obedience and faithfulness, no matter what happens. Now, again, I've pulled out elements from the passage and reassembled them to form this answer to the question. And so let me read the answer to the question again, and I'll go back to the passage And I'll show you how I formed it, okay? What is God's will for the present life of every believer? I think that's what Paul is answering in this question. And his answer is, it's to become a bright light in the world through obedience and faithfulness, no matter what happens. To become a bright light in the world through obedience and faithfulness, no matter what happens. Now let me show you again in the passage where I got this. What is God's will for every believer? It is to become a bright light in the world. All right, now I took that from down here in verse 15, where it says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Okay, the idea of stars in the sky is um, something that emits or, uh, yeah, emits light, right? It brightens the sky. And, the, um, of course, the metaphor is that the world is a, a warped and crooked generation, which implies that it's dark, All right, so Paul here is is kind of using a mixed metaphor, but the point that he's saying is, um, ultimately, you should continue to work out your fear and your, your salvation so that you will shine among them like stars in the sky, so that your light will shine brightly. Okay, and so my big idea question, or my answer, I should say, to the big idea question, the phrase, so that you will become like a bright light, is related to this phrase that says, then you will shine like stars in the sky. But I say here that God wants us, God's will is for us to become a bright light in the world through obedience and faithfulness. Now, where did I get that? Well, let's look again at the passage. Through obedience and faithfulness. Well, Paul's going to talk about obedience here in verse 12. He says, you have always obeyed. And then he says, continue to work out your salvation. And so this tells us that these are related concepts. That continuing to work out your salvation is a form of obedience. It's obedience in the present going forward, okay? And so one of the ways in which God wants us to be a bright light in the world is through our obedience. That is our obedience to him, okay? But I also talked about faithfulness. And where do we see that in the passage? Well, we see that later on where he says, as you hold firmly to the word of life. Okay, and so Here Paul is saying, not only do I want you to be working out your salvation by obeying what God's word teaches, but I also want you to hold firmly to it. I want you to be faithful in your defense of God's word, in your proclamation of God's word, in your belief in God's word. And Paul even goes on in the verses that follow and saying, if you, as you hold firmly to the word of life, I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ. So he's saying, if you continue to be faithful as Christians to the word of God, then when I stand before God, I won't have to worry about whether my reward is real or not, whether the work that I did on this earth matters or not, because your continued faithfulness on this earth shows that God has been working in me and that God has, been, has made my work on this earth fruitful. And so that's where I get the concept of, um, of faithfulness in my big idea answer. All right, so my big idea answer is what God's what is God's will for the present life of every believer? It's to become a bright light in the world through obedience and faithfulness. And then I have this phrase no matter what happens, no matter what happens. Where did I get that from the passage? This is very simple. Paul says in verse 17, "Even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you." Now, this phrase being poured out like a drink offering um, is, is again a metaphor. It's a, it's a figure of speech. Paul here is drawing from the Old Testament sacrificial system, and what he's saying here by when he says, "If I'm being poured out like a drink offering," he's talking about even if I die. Okay, that's a it's a very indirect way of Paul talking about his death, and it reminds us that Philippians was written while Paul was in prison. And you remember from chapter one that Paul had every expectation that he would be released from prison. He did not think that his end had actually come. But he couldn't rule it out either. He wasn't sure that this wasn't the end for him. And so now Paul is saying, listen, if in the present as Christians, if you live according to the will of God for your life as a Christian, if you continue to work out your salvation, if you are obedient and faithful to God and you follow his will, then even if I die, it won't matter. Even if I die... My reward will be secure. Even if I die, God's work will continue in your lives. And so that's where I got that phrase, no matter what happens. Because Paul, at the end of the passage in verse 17, alludes to his own death and says, no matter what happens, even if I die, if you are working out your salvation, if you are following the will of God in the present life, in your present life as a believer, you will shine. In this world, even though it is dark, and even though my light may be extinguished, to borrow from the metaphor and extend it a little bit, Paul is saying, I still have confidence that your light will continue shining. So no matter what happens, if you continue following the Lord in obedience and in faithfulness to his word, you'll be doing the will of God. All right, and so that's how I formed my question to answer the big idea and my answer to the question. And so to put this together in a statement, now remember that one of my steps is later to revisit the big idea, okay? So um, early on in the process, I I ask you to state a big idea, then I have you go through all, this is what I do actually, I state a provisional big idea like my best guess at a big idea um, when I first sit down and study the passage, then I go through all of my other steps of studying it, then I come back to the big idea I wrote and say, does this still make sense to me? Do I really still think this is what the passage is saying, or has my study of it kind of clarified things? Almost like the way a camera lens can be focused so things are sharper. Um, that's how. That's what studying does. It kind of focuses the image for me and helps me to understand the big idea better. And at that point, I typically reword the big idea in one way or another. It's usually not a major reword. Sometimes it is. Sometimes I have to scrap my first big idea and try again, but not usually. Usually I'm just trying to... I'm trying to um, sort of refine the wording a bit and so my big idea statement then takes these concepts these two answers to the two big idea questions and puts them together which is god wants every believer to become a bright light for him and i could have put in the world here but i dropped that for probably because it doesn't really need to be said God wants every believer to become a bright light for him through obedience and faithfulness regardless of the circumstances, all right? And so I pulled, in that last phrase, regardless of the circumstances, I, um, I abstracted the concept of Paul's death and applied it in different ways. Paul's death is a circumstance that actually happened, okay? But it points to a greater reality, which is that there are always going to be negative circumstances that Christians are going to have to deal with. We don't have to worry about Paul being killed anymore because that already happened. But there are things that might happen to us that might cause us to want to not be so firm in our holding to the God's Word, and that might also um, detract us from our obedience. And so um, this is the, the big idea statement that I came up with. God wants every believer to become a bright light for him through obedience and faithfulness regardless of the circumstances. That's how I would summarize the truth of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. All right? And so in the the, uh, few moments that we have left, let's begin looking at the passage. We will not finish it today, so we'll come back to it in the next session. But I want to begin a little bit of uh, looking more in-depth at our study of Philippians chapter 2, Verses 12 through 18. Having established the big idea is that God wants every believer to become a bright light for him through obedience and faithfulness, regardless of the circumstances. Oh, and I forgot to say one thing. The phrase God wants in this refined big idea reflects the idea of the will of God. So that's just a rewording of the the phrase God's will. All right? So when I say God wants something, and by the way, when I say it in my preaching, that to me is another way of saying this is the will of God. Okay? So let's look at this from the passage, and it begins with a command. In verses 12 through 13, Paul commanded the the Ephesians to continue to obey the Lord. Again, verse 12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to, uh, in order to fulfill his good purpose. These verses tell us The command that Paul wants to um, deliver to the Philippians. And that command is to continue to obey the Lord. And it begins in the word with the word therefore. And this tells us again that this is a conclusion. That based on what Paul has taught about the humility of Jesus, he is now applying that concept in a further way to the Philippians. He's saying, Because Christ has been obedient to death, even death on a cross. And now he is bringing glory to God the Father because he has the name that's above every other name. Now Paul says, because Christ has done all of that, now do this. Now as believers, we are empowered because of what Christ has done for us to do something for God. And that's something that we are empowered to do is obey God. Again, verse 12 says, therefore, My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The result of what Christ has done for us, which we looked at in depth in verses 1 through 11 of Philippians 2, the result of that is now we can follow Him in obedience, and we must follow Him. It's the will of God. And the first part of verse 12 tells us that this obedience should be according to the, or in a manner consistent with their prior obedience. The obedience that Paul wants them to show now as believers is one that's consistent with their pattern as believers. It's consistent with their prior obedience. In verse 12, Paul says, "'Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed.'" And this is designed to be an affirming uh, phrase. It's It's designed to encourage the Philippians. Paul's words for them in this section are not harsh, but they're not easy to follow either. This stuff about serving others and putting others ahead of yourselves is hard to do. It's hard to do in your daily Christian life. And it's easy for us to get discouraged because we often revert to our own selfishness and our own self-centered interests. Paul said in in, uh, verses 1 through 11, do nothing out of um, selfish ambition or vain conceit, but that's really easy for us to fall back into. Okay, And so here Paul's trying to encourage the believers. He's saying, I've seen you act this way. I've seen you working out your salvation. I've witnessed growth in your lives. Your obedience as Christian has been evident to me. And so in verse uh, 12, when he says, as you have always obeyed, Paul is trying to say, what I'm calling you to here is not a new form of obedience. It's not really a new step in your Christian life. Instead, I'm trying to call you back to who you actually are and who you have been. And notice what he says about this obedience in verse 12. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. This too is is encouraging as well. Because what Paul is saying here is your obedience was not just when I was watching, but even while I'm absent, you have continued to obey God. You have continued to work out your salvation. That's a very... Um, complimentary thing to say about someone, isn't it? You remember, of course, when you were a child or when your children were children, were younger, right? That you could ask them to do something or tell them to do something. Do your homework, all right? Clean up this room. And while you were standing there watching them, they were very diligent about doing whatever you commanded them to do. They would work on those math problems or they would put those toys away while you're watching. But if you step away for a moment, if your attention is diverted by another child who needs help, if you receive a phone call and leave the room to take that phone call, if anything takes you away from being present with the children while they are obeying your word, what happens? Well, in some cases, they might keep doing what they were supposed to be doing, but not always, right? Sometimes kids lose focus. Sometimes they, they use your change of attention as an excuse for them to change attention and do something else. And this doesn't just happen with children, does it? It happens in the workplace sometimes, right? Sometimes workers work really hard when the boss is watching. And they loaf when he's or she is not watching, right? When supervision goes away, sometimes the motivation to work goes away as well. In fact, there is a dictum, there's a kind of a a business proverb Okay, that says this. You get what you inspect, not what you expect. Let that sink in a minute. You get what you inspect, not what you expect. Right? It would be wonderful if we lived in a world where adults would do what they were told to do, if we could expect them to do what we commanded them to do and what they know they're expected to do, but it doesn't always work like that. In fact, it often doesn't work like that. And so we have to use accountability, we have to follow up with people, we have to inspect what they're doing. In order to get what we expect, we can't just expect that they'll do what they're supposed to do. But here Paul says about the Philippians, I don't have to be there and inspect your work. He says, you have been obedient even in my absence. That's what verse 12 is saying. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, you've always obeyed not only in my presence, but now even more, he says, in my absence. Paul says, I've been locked up. I've been away from you. I'm in a different city. And yet, I keep hearing reports about what God is doing in your lives and how the gospel is going forth from you. He says, you've been even more faithful in your obedience when I've been away from you than you were when I was present with you. That's quite a complimentary thing to say to someone. And that's what Paul, that's how Paul begins He begins talking about the fact that they need to become a bright light through obedience by saying, you're already on this trajectory, and you've already demonstrated this. And before I go on and say more about this, I want to talk about the issue of obedience here for a moment. One of the questions that I might have written, remember one of my steps is write down any questions you have as you're going through the passage. Well, one of the questions that I might have had as I was going through this is, what is the relationship between obedience and salvation? Because Paul clearly makes one in this passage, doesn't he? In verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, and then just drop the next phrase because it's sort of an aside, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation. What is the relationship between works and salvation? What is the relationship between the grace of God which saves us and the expectation of obedience to Jesus? That's a question that I might have written out here to answer. And the truth of the matter is that Christians get hung up on this question a lot. In fact, almost every generation of Christians has to revisit the idea of the relationship between faith and works. Some people hold so firmly to salvation by faith through grace alone, which I do too, which that, that's precious to us as evangelicals. That's part of our, that's, that's a core piece of our faith as, uh, as people who have come out of the Reformation and stand in the Reformation tradition. And not just as evangelicals and as Reformed people, but because we believe that's what the Word teaches, that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the merits of Christ alone. But some people want to hold so firmly to that that they say, and obedience following that is unnecessary, okay? This is called cheap grace in some circles. It's, it's called no lordship salvation. It says a person can receive the grace of Jesus Christ in salvation and God expects nothing more of them after that and they're still saved. Is this what the Bible teaches? Or to revisit the question, what's the relationship of faith and works? Does genuine faith necessarily result in good works. That's what I believe Paul is teaching here. He's saying, yes, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. But when you receive that gift, you also receive a new life. This is what we call the gift of regeneration. You also receive the Holy Spirit. These things together combine to give the believer a desire to follow Jesus Christ in obedience. Obedience is not the result, is not the, is not the condition of salvation, but it's the necessary result of everyone who is saved. Just like a baby being born, we don't, we don't uh, require that baby to learn to talk and to learn to walk in order to be alive, but those are the inevitable results of, of a baby that is born alive. Okay, and so it is with the Christian life. Paul is not saying here, You obey Christ to be saved, but he's saying here, if you're saved, obedience to Christ must follow from that. And so that's what he's getting at in verse 12 when he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You don't work to get salvation, but salvation must be worked out. It must always result in works. And so this is what Paul is teaching here, their obedience was demonstrated throughout their lives. And Paul is saying, I want you to obey in a manner consistent with your be- obedience already. He says, I know your obedience is genuine because it existed whether I was supervising it or not. So you weren't there just obeying to please me. Now at the, uh, the last part of verse 12, he says this, that their, obedient, their obedience and our obedience as Christians means extending the work of salvation into every aspect of their lives. When Paul says at the end of verse 12, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to take the faith that you've been given as a gift by God and extend it into every area of your life so that every part of who you are and everything that you do is informed by your faith in Jesus Christ, is touched by and produced by who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so when he says in verse 12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, this working out of the salvation means spreading the holiness of Christ that was imputed to us when we got saved. Remember, when you got saved, God began to treat you as if you were as holy and as perfect and as righteous as Jesus is. That's what we call imputed righteousness. It was given to us on credit. But now as believers, working out our salvation means living up to that holiness. It means actually becoming holy, not just knowing that we are declared holy in the sight of God. It means actually living a righteous life and doing what is right in the sight of God, not just knowing we are declared righteous in the sight of Jesus. Working out salvation means spreading the holiness and righteousness of God, all of the things that Jesus has done for us. It means spreading it uh, into every aspect of a believer's life. And notice the last part of verse 12, where he says, For it is God who, or I'm sorry, the last part of verse 12, where he says, with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. And this touches on another thing that Christians struggle with too, which is what is the role of the fear of God in the life of a Christian? Should Christians fear God? Well, some Christians would say, no, we shouldn't. Because God loves us and He has imputed all of this to us in Christ and He accepts us as His children. All of that is true, yes. But that doesn't mean we lose our fear of God. It means we have a a greater sense of the fear of God, not a fear of his punishment. That's been taken away, yes, in Jesus Christ. But we still fear him as the creator. We still reverence him. We still stand in awe of his beauty and his holiness. And our obedience is um, done in the sight of God. I think that's what Paul's getting at when he says in verse 12, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying live your life in obedience as if God himself is watching because he is. And so just as someone who works diligently when the boss is watching because he has fear and trembling about being demoted or or losing his job or whatever, so now we should work out our salvation because everything we do is done in the sight of, of our holy Lord and Father. He sees and knows all things. We fear him in our reverence and Other passages of Scripture would say our obedience is an act of worship to God because we love and obey Him. This means we don't need someone checking up on us to to make us do the right thing. We don't live our lives ethically as Christians because someone in church might ask us where we've been going, who we've been hanging out with, what we've been doing, or whatever. We do it because we know God is watching us and we love Him and want to please Him. And so we work out our salvation because we love God. We, we fear God. We, we tremble at His presence. And then in verse 13, he says that obedience is the result of God's work. And we'll come back to this next time and pick up our study of this passage at that point. But uh, for, for now, I hope that you uh, see from this passage Um, The point that I've gotten to that the big idea that I see in this passage is that God wants every believer to become a bright light for him through obedience and faithfulness, regardless of the circumstances. And we'll come back and look at this passage again in the next session. You're dismissed.